There you go. Four punch, five punch, six punch combination. Body shot, body shot. Bang, 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 bang. Telling him not to counter punch. Welcome back, fight fans, to the Fight City podcast, the official podcast for thefightcity.com. Today, we have an exciting episode for you as the fightcity.com founder, Michael Carbert, sits down with contributor Hunter Breckenridge to discuss some of the most prominent and biggest delays in boxing history. This all stemming from the fact that our most recent delays occurring between Alexander Usyk and Tyson Fury due to Tyson Fury, unfortunately, suffering a cut uh, during his latest training camp. Uh, I think this episode contains a lot of uh, niche boxing history, as well as some uh, uh, historical context for why big fights like this most recent one uh, can be difficult to make and how delays, uh, you know, can can hurt uh, from a a fan's perspective, uh, getting these big matchups. Um, so without further ado, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you head to the fightcity.com. Uh, the link is in our show notes, uh, for the latest, uh, boxing history archives, as well as latest news from the sport. Enjoy. So everyone, I think in boxing was looking forward to finally having a showdown between Tyson Fury and Alexander Usyk, and it's been canceled. Uh, we've all seen the cut. It's a deep cut. It's a big cut. It's a completely legitimate uh, delay. But uh, naturally, it makes us think back in boxing history and, and cause us to revisit some of the more memorable uh, delays, uh, cancellations, postponements in uh, heavyweight history. So I thought, um, you know, this would be a good topic for us to uh, to visit. And I thought I'd start, or we would start, with um, a very notable fight from uh, 1965. The rematch between... Also, by the way, all of these fights are heavyweight championship fights that we're going to be talking about. So makes perfect sense. So Fury Usyk uh, is ostensibly for the undisputed heavyweight championship of the world. And so was Muhammad Ali versus Sonny Liston, the rematch in 1965. And some may uh, not be aware that it actually was set to happen in Boston in, uh, I believe, May of 1965. And it didn't happen because Muhammad Ali, in training, suffered a hernia, which required surgery. And so the fight was almost completely scuttled. Uh, Eventually, it was rescued and put back together, and it took place in Lewiston, Maine, of all places. And, of course, we all recall that the bizarre outcome of that fight. Um, Many people believe it was not on the level. Um, 
that fight could be a podcast all unto itself. Uh, there was so much going on there. Um, Hunter, what what are your recollections of that fight? And do you think uh, the postponement had a had an impact on it? Well, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for asking uh, this, this one. Uh, I I definitely don't recall it in person, but I do. I, I've read a lot about it. And of course, I've seen the fight uh, ad nauseum. It didn't last that long. Um, yeah, I, I think the delay and, w- and one one thing to mention, I believe uh, the second it was originally scheduled for November 64 and the delay ended up moving right. farther out. Um, but it was and, and I know part of the problem was uh, part of why I got moved from Boston was uh, fear over um, basically the controversy of the first fight. There's a lot of fear of uh, Ali's ties to uh, Nation of Islam and a lot of uh, fear over uh, Liston's ties to organized crime. And apparently uh, Massachusetts, uh, kind of the state helped push the, pro- the promoters to uh, moving it. And it was actually the governor of Maine that uh, said, you know, we'll take it. <laughs> so it kind of came to the rescue there. But it was, you know, obviously not the not a hotbed of boxing. Um, I, you know, I think its odd location may have been may have may have added to you know it's it's funny because that fight had you know it was it was a rematch it was a controversial young new champion um obviously the outcome itself is going to be debated till the end of the you know the heat death of the universe uh and 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 i think that that may have overshadowed some of the issues like the you know the location and the delay and you know all that's interesting too and i think just adds to it i i don't know you know the location i think also was in part to help actually reduce some of the attention but you know already this is the television era and um you know yeah you don't have as many people attending in person like you would in say boston or if they held it in new york or something but you definitely you know there's already such a media attention especially in the 60s you know the heavyweight championship of the world that was all you know every major american network you know international networks everyone's going to be covering this it's going to be on radio it's so you know already by the 60s you have a lot of people being able to access it without being there you know just 10 years before that really wasn't a thing so um you know even even hiding it away in in relatively small town in maine didn't do that much you know to to diminish it if that makes sense yeah well of course the the big question about that fight is was it on the level and um you know the there's no real consensus uh there's no consensus really even if uh the punch that that appeared to put Sonny Liston down was legitimate um what did happen was Liston went down in the opening round uh Jersey Joe Walcott was the referee and completely screwed up he didn't even start a count which Sonny Liston would later cite that as a reason as to why he didn't get up um he didn't hear a count um, Liston did kind of start to get up, but then fell back down again. And then when Walcott was talking to the timekeeper and trying to figure out what was going on, Ali and Liston actually started to fight again. Uh, but then Walcott was informed that no, 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 the fight's over. Liston was on the floor definitely for more than 10 seconds. He's knocked out. So that was the end of the fight. I've never personally believed that that was a fix. I mean, if it, if it was a, meant to be a fix, I mean, it's the most inept 
way that it could possibly be uh, done. Um, but I do personally believe that the postponement had a big impact on what happened based on something I read. And I, you know, I've read a lot of books and over the years about boxing and so on. And I wish I kept scrupulous notes, but I haven't. But I do recall um, one of Liston's trainers quoted as saying that when the news came that Ali had this hernia and that the fight would have to be postponed for months, that Liston was completely demoralized. And he had trained very, very hard. And when he got the news that that there was going to be this long delay, he was basically, he lost his his focus. He lost his, his determination. He fell out of training. Uh, presumably, he didn't get back into training for weeks. And, you know, it's just my personal conviction that what we saw is a fighter basically quit. I mean, which, which when you think about it, isn't a huge stretch. I mean, he was facing a guy who completely outclassed him the first time. And, um, and yeah, I, I can kind of see uh, he's an aging fighter. Um, he's, 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 the confidence isn't there. Liston was a classic bully. Uh, bullies are, are when they're pushed back, uh, you know, they often, you know, they don't necessarily rise to the occasion. And, um, I do personally think that that's what we saw. We saw a demoralized fighter basically give up. Uh, and again, the, apparently the cancellation played a big part in, in Liston's, uh, outlook on the fight His his, his lack of fortitude, mental fortitude, uh, for the fight. Any thoughts on that? I, I, I tend to agree with actually pretty much everything you said. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't think a fix, unless there's some sort of documented evidence or proof, there's no way to really confirm whether or not it was a fix. And as you said, it, you know, it's one of those cases where, you know, you have someone say like Jack Johnson would claim later to throw, uh, throw his fight with Jess Willard, but only after he was in the ring for 26 rounds, you know, like some of these uh, attempts at claiming something was a fix, uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't a very good one if it was. And, and in this case, I, I, I tend to agree. I think the punch, whether it connected super cleanly or not, or whether it was a balance issue or, or whatever, I, I tend not to think that I, I think he was knocked down. Um, maybe he could have gotten up, probably could have gotten up. Yeah, as you said, probably was demoralized. He was, um, you know, I, I've, I've read quite a bit about how he was not necessarily scared of Ali himself, but scared of his entourage and scared of a lot of the people around him, Liston was. And, you know, his, his own experience with organized crime, I think he tended to believe Ali was involved in his own version of organized crime. I think his own tie, you know, he had known ties to organized crime, and I think that made him suspicious in general. I'm, I, from what I've read, he believed that uh, a lot of the uh, the, the, the Islamic uh, groups that Ali associated with were essentially themselves also organized crime. And uh, I, I don't have a lot of knowledge about how true that was, but I do know that uh, uh, Liston himself uh, was nervous. And and Liston also, uh, Ali liked to play up acting crazy. Like Ali was a smart guy. He wasn't educated, but he was very intelligent. And, you know, he, he was quick, quick on his feet mentally as well as physically. And he himself would do things like wind up and act kind of nuts in order to, you know, think that, make opponents think that he's just a 
this is a psychopath. This is a crazy person. And, and I think it, it worked a little bit. I, I think he was able to spook uh, Liston. And yeah, I, I, I just think the whole thing was, you know, Liston, you know, the delay didn't help, uh, you know, the, I think the old environment. And yeah. And we don't even know how old Liston was, you know, not really. We, you know, we know he was significantly older than, than Muhammad Ali, but it could have been, you know, he could have been over 40 by that point. And, you know, I, I've heard, you know, that's one of those like kind of unknown things that, he, you know, he, it would have been hard for someone, you know, it would have been hard for him to win that fight anyway. And I think he just, yeah, he just demoralized. That was a good way of putting it. Yeah. And uh, another, another factor which some speculate about is at that time, uh, not too long before the fight, Malcolm X was assassinated. <laughs> Yep. And um, there was speculation, well, it's a fact, as I understand it, that Ali had a round-the-clock um, squad of bodyguards from the FBI uh, guarding him in the lead-up to that fight. Yep. Uh, he didn't ask for that. He didn't request that. It was, it, was, it was imposed upon him by the FBI just in case. So there was serious speculation uh and concern that he would be the target of uh of retribution for the death of malcolm x and um some have speculated that liston wanted the fight to be over as quickly as possible because he didn't want to get caught by any stray bullets um you know i don't know if there's any truth to that at all but i mean to add to all the different to add to all the factors that we've discussed, there's another one, you know, that yeah. potentially could have affected the outcome. But um, anyway, to get back to the main point, um, I, I, there's definitely reason to believe that the cancellation, which just like Tyson Fury versus Alexander Usyk, it's it's a it's an injury, it's an injury yeah. in training, and it caused the fight to be postponed for many many weeks and i think it did have an impact on on the outcome similarly and sticking with muhammad ali here's another famous case of a fight being uh, postponed and the parallels between this situation and the current one that we're dealing with are very close and that's uh you zoom up to 1974 George Foreman is the heavyweight champion of the world, and he is going to face Muhammad Ali in Zaire, Africa, of all places. Talk about, you know, Lewiston, Maine seemed a strange location. Well, Kinshasa in Zaire is, is even stranger in some respects. Yeah. Um, and during training, uh, Foreman is cut. It's a cut over the eye, uh, not unlike the cut that Tyson Fury has suffered. And the fight had to be postponed for, I think, at least a month, maybe longer. I think it was five and, weeks. Uh, yeah. yeah, five weeks. And um, did that have a, I mean, there's no question that Muhammad Ali's eighth round knockout of George Foreman is one of the most stupendous and consequential wins in boxing history. Um, but is part of 
the is part of why that happened due to a sparring partner uh not being as careful with his elbows as he should have been and the heavyweight champion getting a cut in training i mean i so uh, this is another case where you know it, it's it's difficult to analyze the psychology of someone who we can't be in their head, of course. Um, and obviously, you know, in later years, George Foreman, you know, appears to be a much, uh, you know, much I guess uh, calmer and more you know confident individual. He he definitely had a lot of uh, insecurities as a young man back then, back in 1974. And despite his you know his outer facade was. Uh, a, you know, an affectation, honestly, a lot of it, he had, he talked later very honestly about how he was kind of a scared kid. You know, he wasn't comfortable in Zaire. He, he hated it the whole time. You know, he brought these German shepherds with him, which did not endear him to the people there who these, these specific dogs were kind of a symbol back in the you know colonial era of oppression. And I don't think he realized that, but you know, there it is. It, it didn't help. And yeah, I, I think, I think he, he he was also kind of a situation where he was training, he was getting himself into shape, then he got cut. And I think it was Bill McMurray, who was a kind of an interesting journeyman who has a, his own interesting story. Uh, actually beat Thad Spencer about a decade earlier. This uh, wasn't a terrible fighter for a guy with a almost losing record. Uh, good, you know, good, good sparring partner type. But uh, but yeah, he uh, I, I, I think that his own psychological issues, Ali spending a lot of effort getting into his head, um, you know, there's a lot of lot of concern. The U.S. State Department has records. I'm actually looking at them right now in the National Archives. Um, the, the, the government of Zaire was concerned Foreman would try to split to try to leave the country and recuperate yes. and or just get out all, 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 you know, all together. And I think there was some fear that he would use that cut as an excuse and they wouldn't get him back just because he was so unhappy there. And um, I, you know, I, I think the amount of money involved, he probably would have, you know, would have come back. But yeah, I, I get the fear too. And I could see why they'd be concerned about it. it it's Yeah, I, I think he, honestly, I, I think Muhammad Ali for that fight with everything happening, I, I don't think he would have been denied. I think that was his night. I don't think George Foreman of 1974 could have ever beaten him. But I definitely think Foreman wasn't at his absolute best either. I, I tend to agree. I, I think Ali had his number. I think Foreman, his style was almost made for Ali. Um, of course, the loose ropes definitely helped. But, sure. um, but you know, uh, proponents of, of Foreman will point out that this cut really hampered Foreman's preparation. Um, it meant he couldn't spar yeah. as much as he otherwise would have. And so, therefore, he was maybe not as sharp as he otherwise would have been. Um, so that that is a valid point, um, yeah. I think. Uh, I I I tend to think though that it is possible to spar at least to some degree with a cut. You'd have to take some precautions, but you know that 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 is a factor. Is is it a huge factor? That's the question. Is it a major factor? in in what uh, unfolded that night in in Kinshasa. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's any way to completely quantify like how much of a difference it made, you know, would George have lasted till the ninth round or the eleventh round or whatever. I, I, I think yeah. the sparring you know, I, I think the sparring 
the lack of sparring, I think the five weeks, I, I, I think that certainly didn't help. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I agree. It's in the end, you know, I, I, I think at that point, George was ill-prepared in a lot of other ways. And I don't think his tactics were very sound. And I think, you know, and again, and, and some of it was also just Ali, you know, one of his, you know, at that point already, he was slower than he was in his prime. You know, he was relying more on his durability. Um, you know, he had some advantages, as you said, the loose ropes, and he was a tall guy who could land a lean away. And, you know, a lot of the punches lost some of their snap by the time they reached him, the ones that connected. But yeah, he, uh, you know, there, there were a lot of things, kind of factors in, at play here. But in the end, the... <laughs> This this was Muhammad Ali who wanted it so badly, and and I really think a lot of it was just sheer will and durability and guts, and it was, I I just don't think George at that point especially, you know, G George's heart is unquestionable, especially you know, and as once we saw his second career, but at that point I think he was just he was a younger guy and he just wasn't mentally prepared for what was happening, and he wasn't tactically prepared. <laughs> So yeah, I agree. I agree. Gen generally speaking, the the guy throwing the straight punches uh, has an edge over the guy throwing the the big round punches. And and Ali Absolutely. knew that. Ali, that's one of the things about that fight, which is always so fascinating, is Ali's confidence despite oh, yeah. everything. You know, I mean, he was a clear Absolutely. underdog. Even people in his own entourage were concerned about whether he was going to be, you know, seriously injured or not. I mean, you know, yeah. the, he he wasn't a huge uh, underdog in terms of, um, you know, betting odds, uh, three to one or four to one. But yeah. really, in terms of the popular perception, the, the thinking was, you know, Foreman's just going to demolish him. Uh, and, oh, yeah. um, you know, but but despite that, Ali was his focus was razor sharp. He was so uh, tuned in. He and he knew exactly what he needed to do, and he altered his tactics during the fight. And 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 I just want to. I this is you know one of my personal. I love to harp on this. The rope a dope is to a large extent a myth, in the sense that he lay on the ropes and Foreman was winning the fight and then got tired. That's not the case at all. Ali yeah. was winning the fight. You be, you would be hard-pressed, if you watch the fight carefully, to give Foreman more than maybe a couple of rounds. And Ali was just boxing brilliantly off the ropes, showing his skill, his intelligence, his experience. It's really an, a, a fascinating performance, um, an exemplary performance of, of, of ring skill and experience. Yeah, agreed. Um, I, I think a lot of what Ali was doing was also fairly subtle. And part of it's you talk about the straight punches versus the round ones. I mean, specifically, George at that time, especially, was always swinging for the fences. He threw these big looping wind up, you know, shots. And, uh, you know, it obviously were great and up to that point. But yeah, against Ali, you know, it, it, so it often looked like he was doing more, especially to someone who's not necessarily you know, looking at it through a very analytical eye and, you know, he, you know, his punches carried, you know, carried weight and heft and, you know, he'd land a shot to the ribs and it'd make a slapping, you know, you know loud sound. And, and yeah, of course it's, it's, uh, I, I, I think, I, I think you're right. It, you know, watching that fight going back and, you know, really paying attention to the details. Yeah. It's clear that, uh, 
George is is not doing as well as as you know the legend has it. Um, you know, he landed a few shots. Ali had said he had he got oh, stunned sure. once, but yeah. overall, but and you know, and someone with George's hand heavy hands, especially at that point, could hurt even a guy like Ali. But he just wasn't landing. It wasn't just that he wasn't landing clearly when he was. It was you know Ali took body shots very well. Um, and, uh, and most of those headshots, the ones that kind of snuck through, you know, as, as the, you know, most of the snap and most of the power was already off of them by the time it actually connected, because he was able to lean so far back and he was able to roll his head and deflect with his hands. Yeah. It just, it was, it was masterful, but it was masterful in a subtle way that I think doesn't show up all that well, you know, if you're watching on TV or something, especially in 1974 with, you know, not exactly high def, <laughs> you know, quality right. and all yeah. that. Yeah. Well, it was a big upset. And yep. uh, speaking of big upsets, here's another interesting example, I think, of a fight that was supposed to happen. The contracts were signed. Everyone was looking forward to it. It didn't happen, but then it did years later. And yep. then we got the upset. And that is the matchup, the arguably the biggest heavyweight matchup of the 1990s, Mike Tyson versus Evander Holyfield. And as we all remember, it was supposed to happen in 1991. And uh, all the, you know, the fight was set. It was going to take place. And then, of course, Tyson got into legal trouble, uh, to put it mildly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, He was uh, charged with rape. Uh, he went to trial, he lost the trial, he went to jail, and it, he didn't uh, get back into the ring again until 1995. Um, Hollyfield was active all through that time. He he had fights with uh, big, high-profile fights with Riddick Bowe, uh, uh, among others. And um, by the time Hollyfield versus Tyson... Well, first of all, the fight when it did uh, was it when when it was finally set. the The title of it was finally, <laughs> finally, uh, you know, the matchup we've all been waiting for. But by that time, for some people, we weren't waiting for it because the perception uh, after losses to uh, to Michael Moore and to Riddick Bowe. Uh, Hollyfield was considered to be, you know, uh, over the hill, finished, done. And the, the anticipation was that Tyson's going to steamroll him just the same way he did all his other comeback opponents, uh, including Peter McNeely and uh, Buster Mathis Jr. and Frank Bruno and so on. Yep. Didn't turn out that way. And, um... It's interesting to to speculate. Would the result have been markedly different in 1991 uh, than as it turned out to be in 1996 when Hollyfield scored arguably one of the biggest upsets in heavyweight history and defeated Mike Tyson by 11th round TKO? Uh, it's it's interesting. Um, I, I think with... Uh... 
Well, first of all, going back just a little bit, um, is uh, the postponements is actually two orig uh, postponements originally because they were first scheduled to fight uh, in 1990, um, in, I think June of 1990, and then Buster Douglas happened. And that sunk that. And then after, you know, even then, a lot of people still thought, well, it was a little fluky. You know, Buster Douglas isn't that good. He just fought the fight of his life. His mom just died, you know. And, and then, of course, Holyfield took him out pretty fast. And they said, OK, well, we can still get Holyfield Tyson. Now it'll just be Tyson challenging. And then, of course, as you said, he had a rib injury. And then, then of course, his uh, legal issues. <laughs> And spending some time in jail. Um, but what what what's 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 interesting about when he came back and when he did eventually fight Holyfield, you know, a lot of people now will diminish uh, that victory a little bit. Um, at least what I've seen, you know, especially in discussion forums and whatnot, you know, saying, well, obviously Tyson wasn't it was a shell of who he used to be. wasn't didn't fight like he did in the late '80s and all that. And yeah, as you noted, at the time everyone thought kind of the opposite, you know, Tyson may, may not have been quite as dynamic and, um, you know, he lost a little bit, especially defensively in his comeback, but he had looked solid. He was knocking everybody. He was knocking bottom of the top 10 type guys, you know, top 15 guys like Selden and Mathis and whatnot out in two or three rounds, Bruno, um, and, uh, capturing a couple alphabet belts and, uh, you know, and as you said, yeah, the, Holyfield didn't look good. You know, he had lost to, he had lost two fights to Bo, lost to Moore, uh, looked bad against what Bobby Chez, um, who was basically a cruiserweight. And uh, yeah, and and the finally, it was, you know, I remember that tagline too, but uh, a lot of people are like, finally, Holyfield's going to get crushed. But I, you know, I'm inclined to think, and I could be wrong on this, I'm inclined to think going back to 90 or 91, I think it would have been a faster paced fight. I think Tyson would have probably, you know, thrown more combinations. His defense would have been a little sharper, but so would Holyfield's. Holyfield had slowed down by that point. He had bulked up. He was, his stamina was a lot better in 1990, 91 than it was in 96. He was only fighting two minutes around at that point. He, you know, when he, when he'd throw these sharp combos, but then he'd take half the round off. Even then, you know, he was, he was in his late thirties already. And a lot of people thought he was washed up too because he was old, or relatively speaking. And Mike was only like, what, 30 when he came back from prison, something like that, 31. He wasn't that old, you know. And um, I, 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 I'm, I'm inclined to think that maybe it would have gone the distance. Maybe it wouldn't have been a, a late stoppage like we actually saw. But I just think, I, I think Holyfield knew how to negate Tyson's Tyson's aggression, he and I think he his speed and his relative quickness and his ability to honestly his toughness. I think he, you know, we talked about this, you know, fighters being bullies. Foreman was a bully, Liston was a bully, Tyson was a bully. And Tyson, you know, it, it's not true that standing up to him meant you beat him. You know, there were fighters that stood their ground and got crushed, but I think Holyfield is a different kind of guy. I that's me, you know. I could be convinced otherwise. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, I Again, I, as I said, I, I feel like Ali had Foreman's number. I, I tend to think that uh, he would have found a way to defeat Foreman had they fought uh, more than once. And I kind of feel it's the same, w same way with Hollyfield and Tyson. I mean, you know, b boxing in a, in a, is a very, you know, a huge aspect of boxing is the mental uh component of it 
And there's no question in my mind that mentally the stronger fighter is Hollyfield. You know, uh, and and if you can get through the first couple of rounds against Tyson, you know, he starts to slow down and he starts to slowly get a little discouraged. And, of course, you know, the ultimate example was in the rematch when Tyson completely lost it. Um, So, yeah, I I tend to agree with you. I think if the fight had happened back in 1991, um, you know, if I had to bet money, it would be on real deal, uh, not Iron Mike. Um, But, you know, the case can be made that, what we saw after Mike Tyson came out of prison was a mirage, you know, that, that really, um, you know, the Mike Tyson of 1991 would have been a better performer, a better fighter. I mean, he really had no significant opposition leading up to the Hollyfield fight at the time. He looked incredible at the time for most people, it seemed like the second coming of, of Mike Tyson and nobody could stand up to him. Um, he demolished, uh, what was it? Peter McNeely, Buster Mathis Jr. Who am I forgetting? Frank Bruno. Frank Bruno. Oh, Bruce, Bruce Selden. Bruce Selden. Bruce Selden, who went down from a punch that didn't even land. I mean, all these guys were terrified. Yeah. And uh, And so what got overlooked was the fact that no one – until Hollyfield had the guts, had the had the backbone to actually stand up to Tyson and fight back, and and lo and behold, as soon as somebody did, Tyson was not the same fighter at all. You can make the case uh, that in that first fight with Hollyfield, Tyson won no more than maybe two rounds. Um, some of the rounds were close, but. Overall, the guy who was controlling things, moving forward, um, and 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 landing effective shots was Evander Holyfield, and people couldn't believe what they were seeing. Um, so you can't. I, I mean, it's not a stretch to think that the Mike Tyson that would have entered the ring in 1991 would have been a more formidable fighter uh, than the one in 1996. It's just that at that time in 1996. Nobody, nobody saw that. Nobody perceived it that way. One hundred percent agreed. And yeah, those. I, it's the mirage aspect. I think is uh, an underrated. Um, I, I think it's an underrated component because uh, you know an underrated point because as you said, you know these names. One, they weren't that. You know, I mean, they were kind of fringe contender. Yeah, Frank Bruno, I guess, is technically a contender, but he, but even he, Frank Bruno is probably the best of that group that we just mentioned. And one, he was not known for being the most durable. And two, yeah, he was, he, he was constantly like crossing his, himself as he went to the ring. He looked like he was going to an execution and he'd already been in the ring with Tyson. And while he got beat a few years earlier, you know, he, he gave a decent account for himself. He rocked Tyson in the first round of their first fight. And you'd think he would have been the one with some confidence. And he had had a title and he finally got over that hump of the few months before. And, and, and even then couldn't do anything. Yeah, he just got steamrolled. And, and I think some people I think I think there's a there's this thing where, you know, people look at 
the 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 not the, the just the the lines on the paper, the numbers, the knockouts, the second round knockout, first round knockout. They don't really look at who that quality of opposition is. That's why I keep debating people about uh, how. Uh, you know, where someone like Deontay Wilder is, is ranks. I got some arguments about his Hall of Fame, what kind of career he has. Just, well, look how he had 478 knockouts, you know. Yeah, but who did he knock out? <laughs> who? Exactly. I think that matters a little more. And, and you know, yeah. Holyfield, uh, you know, it's true. Like, you know, at the same time, you know, those those five fights we just mentioned of Tyson's, but Holyfield had fought, the worst fighter he fought was Bobby Chaz. I think I'm pronouncing that right. But he fought Riddick Bowe, Ray Mercer, Michael Morer, Riddick Bowe again, like basically a who's who of the best fighters in the division at that point. And his record wasn't great, but he was fighting him. And it wasn't like he was getting blown out. Even when he did get knocked out by Bowe, he had almost knocked Bowe out right before that. So, you know, and he might've been having a heart attack or it wasn't a heart attack, but he was having heart issues like palpitations or something against Michael Morer, you know, and, and argue, you know, that was a very close fight. So, you know, it's just the quality of competition by itself that should have given more people pause. The differences, you know. Well, I, I think we'd be remiss. Uh, you bring up Sir. the heart issue with Hollyfield, and of course, nobody questions his heart metaphorically, uh, his <laughs> determination, his his willingness to to mix it up, and and that kind of thing. But um, he was having serious medical issues. Uh, they really came to light in that uh, first defeat to Michael Moore. And, you know, somebody who raises this issue when we ask the question, okay, Tyson Hollyfield 1991 versus Tyson Hollyfield 1996. I mean, it's a legit point. Well, when did he start juicing? You know, and the fact of the matter is, um, you know, there's nothing definitive but some have speculated that the, the that the issues Hollyfield experienced um, in that first Holly, uh, sorry, that first fight with Michael Moore, and subsequent to that, he seemed to have stamina issues. Um, it was also, to my mind, like evident in the third fight with Bo that something wasn't quite right physically. And yeah. my understanding is that some of his his problems which, by the way, he claimed were healed by, remember that evangelical preacher who laid hands Penny on Hinn. him? And, yeah. yeah. Penny Hinn, that's right, yes. Yep, yes. yep. Um, some, some who are more knowledgeable than I would ever be on performance-enhancing drugs and so on have speculated that, the, that what Hollyfield was experiencing falls into the realm of of predictable side effects of the use of human growth hormone Mm. and it affects the cardiovascular system apparently and so on. And, you know, so when we look, I mean, it is a valid point. When we look at, at Hollyfield's incredible victory over Mike Tyson, which, which many people forget, but at the time it was a huge upset, much bigger than, than Ali versus Foreman, for example. Um, Mm. Uh, you know, in retrospect, it's obvious that Hollyfield was enhancing his training with, you know, who knows what, uh, sure. but, but definitely something. And, and, you know, all you have to do is look at his physique, uh, to see that, that, that this was a factor. Um, 
So the so the it is a valid question. Uh, would he have benefited as much in 1991 from performance enhancing uh, supplements or drugs or or, or therapies uh, as he clearly did in his amazing run uh, when he not only beat Mike Tyson twice but then also avenged his defeat to Michael Moore and then had two. Uh, competitive fights with a, a naturally much bigger heavyweight in Lennox Lewis. I yeah, I mean, there, you know, it, it's going to be difficult to speculate for certain exactly how how much it benefited him. And I'm I'm kind of liable to think maybe his early, you know, I don't know when he may have started juicing officially if he did. I mean, Evan Fields and all that with the Balco thing, we probably yeah, he he almost certainly was doing something. Um, I, I know just even looking at like his record, you know, you can see his weight, you know, he was consistently 208, 207, 210, all the way up until the Riddick Bow fights. And then all of a sudden for the second Riddick Bow fight, he was up to uh, 217 and he kind of spent most of the next few years, like hovering right under like 215 to 220 range. And he was, you know, that extra 10 pounds or so was clearly, it was all in his, like his, his shoulders, the traps and all that. He clearly yeah. looked like he had just expanded it. It wasn't quite Barry Bonds in t- 2002 or whatever, but he definitely looked bigger. And, you know, it's, you know, yeah, of course a guy can lift weights and all that and put on muscle. And he obviously had to do that along with whatever he might've been taking, but it's not like added muscle is necessarily beneficial, especially for a guy who was a pretty fast twitch sort of fighter. You know, adding that kind of weight to a relatively slender, you know, framed guy um, may not have been incredible for him. It obviously, it did help give him some strength against, I think, with Tyson in particular, I, I think he benefited from that extra muscle because, you know, they grappled a lot inside. And, you know, he frustrated Mike. Mike had always been pretty passive, even in his even in the 80s when he was a wrecking machine, you know, guys could pretty easily tie him up. And, you know, he get he, he didn't punch a lot in the clinch. He didn't try to outmaneuver. And someone like Holyfield, who juiced or not, was very strong. You know, he didn't it don't, didn't always translate to a huge punch, but he had sharp punches and he was physically could move a guy like Mike around, you know, and I think that helped wear Mike down, too. You know, so that might have been where the where the roids or what the HGH or whatever benefited him was just physically pushing you know, a guy who technically had a thicker body around. So, well, it's a, it's, it's a scenario that's fun to speculate on Absolutely. Uh, what might've, what might've been, what might've happened uh, in 1991 versus what did happen in 1996. Um, so continuing one more comparison that I think is very fitting to make in terms of a high profile, uh, in this case, a cancellation, not just a postponement. Um, and that would be the rematch that was supposed to happen. The contracts were signed. Both fighters went into training for it. And that's the rematch between Tyson Fury and <laughs> Vladimir Klitschko. And... Um, this is a really fascinating chapter, I think, in, in heavyweight history. The first fight was a was a strange fight in certain respects. Um, yes. And, and Fury's victory was definitely something of an upset. Um, and Klitschko immediately, you know, 
felt the the feeling was uh, that Klitschko saw the error of his ways that he, that he realized he had been too passive and and he he just simply wasn't active enough uh, in that fight with Tyson Fury and he wanted a rematch as soon as possible and he had the right uh, according to the contract to opt to to activate the rematch clause. And so the rematch yep. was signed. It was going to happen. Both fighters went into training. And then <laughs> what happened exactly, Hunter? I don't e I don't know. Does anybody know? I mean, by all accounts, Tyson Fury was training hard. And then what? All of a sudden he decided to pick up and go to a a Biza and party his ass off or something. Uh yeah. Um <laughs> I I I in the end, only only Tyson Fury knows exactly what happened with him. Um, I, I know that uh, you know he he he, had, he himself had tested positive for some banned substances uh, at what kind of during that time. I also say, just first for the fight itself, um, yeah, it was a it was a really awkward fight um, at the time, especially I you know I I was uh, higher on Klitschko than a lot of my uh, my friends and contemporaries uh, in boxing and. Uh, I, I, I always liked the guy a lot just personally, but, and I was rooting for him against uh, Fury and it was frustrating to watch. Cause yeah, it seemed like Fury's Fury did a good job kind of freezing Klitschko, you know, keeping him from really throwing, throwing a lot. And Klitschko kind of came alive in the last round when it was too little too late and he landed a couple of shots, but it didn't mean much. Um, I mean, F Fury, you know, was neither guy threw much. Um, it was really an ugly, un unpleasant fight in a lot of ways. Um, but Fury was, it was a rare situation where Klitschko wasn't significantly stronger and wasn't able to push Fury around like he'd been used to doing. And Fury was in good shape. Like we, we, Fury's physique gets mocked quite a lot in the boxing world. Some, some of it's fair, some of it's maybe less so, but, um, you know, he's always a guy who probably is in better shape than he looks without necessarily being in great shape. You know, he seems to have pretty good stamina considering, um, and pretty good speed for a guy's size. Um, but, but with, uh, with that fight, he looked good. He was actually kind of cut and you know, looked like he was in pretty good shape and maybe there's some substance issues there. I'm not going to speculate and say, I know for certain what, what all he had in him, but you know, I, I don't think anyone's completely clean. I, I don't, I think a lot of guys are not that clean. So, you know, that's, I don't want to get too conspiracy theory minded there, but yeah, I, I, I think, I don't know what, what, what his mental health issues are. I, I think, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he legitimately did suffer from some form of depression. I think he also suffered from some form of uh, cocaine and alcohol. And I think a lot of it was just substance issues. He gained a lot of weight, you know, apparently hit 400 pounds or something like that. Some insane amount of weight. And you know, I saw some pictures of him where he looked huge. And for whatever reason, you know, I may, I, he seems like a confident guy. I don't necessarily think he was scared of the rematch, but um, you know, I, I, I do think Klitschko could have done better, especially if Fury's head wasn't in it. I mean, a lot of Fury's issue is also, you know, wh where he's at mentally. I, I don't know if he's crazy or has real mental issues or he's a con artist, um, but he's not always all there, clearly. And you can tell in some of his performances. He clearly had more of his head on straight in 2015 when he fought Klitschko the first time. <laughs> Well, I'll just go on record here as, as saying that I never really bought the whole depression and uh, story from Tyson Fury. Um, I, I, you know, 
Klitschko uh, was frustrated, um, and he basically got tired of waiting around for Tyson Fury, and and he gave up. Um, yeah, he he had a legitimate right to pursue that rematch, but Tyson Fury basically did, in my opinion, this is just my you know take, uh, just my personal opinion. Um, I think I think Tyson Fury wanted nothing to do with Vladimir Klitschko in a rematch. I think hmm. I think I think in a rematch we would have seen the Vladimir the Klitschko that everyone expected to see, and I think he would have beaten Tyson Fury, um, you know, not without some difficulty. But I think I think sure. it would have clearly been a, a Klitschko's fight to lose, and Tyson Fury is no dummy, and I think he he did what he needed to do to avoid that fight. It's just my personal opinion. Uh, it, but that falls yeah. in line with other aspects of Tyson's Tyson Fury's behavior, uh, public utterances that are bizarre. Um, you know, I mean, the thing I always come back to is there's really no reason on earth why a Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua fight hasn't happened except that somebody didn't want it to happen. I mean, that has to be one of the biggest fights uh, available in the sport. We're talking massive paydays. It would be absolutely huge, monumental in, 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 in Great Britain. Uh, but my take, my personal conviction, is that Tyson Fury wants nothing to do with, with getting in the ring with Anthony Joshua. I think Tyson Fury is a very smart operator, and, and he makes... Uh, careful, calculated choices about his career. Um, it made a lot more sense for him to fight a guy like Deontay Wilder than than Anthony Joshua in terms of giving himself chances to win. And you know, there's all this other stuff. You know that that the things that he's like the thing I always come back to is remember when he said he he made this big promise he was going to give millions of dollars to homeless people. You know and. <laughs> And then it evaporated. And, you know, he has this way of of being bombastic and saying crazy things and doing crazy things. And and meanwhile, the the most meaningful fights don't always happen. Um, and it seemed like we had to wait a very long time for Fury versus Usyk to be uh, signed and sealed. And here we are, the fight at this moment moment in time is not happening or or at least is going to be delayed for a very long time. And this falls into a pattern, you know, which goes back to the the scuttled Klitschko Fury rematch. And um, you know, I mean, just to illustrate when Fury versus Usyk was finally announced, it's gonna happen. It's definitely going to happen in February. So many people were like, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when I see both these guys in the ring. And this says something not about anyone except Tyson Fury. It's it's a legitimate point of view, it seems to me. I agree. And I, you know, it's... You know, I, I, 
it, it's hard for me, as I've kind of said this before, it's hard for me to speculate what what's going on in somebody else's mind, especially someone whose mind is clearly as chaotic as Tyson Fury. You know, may, you know, maybe some of it is con artistry, maybe some of it is instability, maybe it's maybe he just needs to lay off the, the booze on, on week. I don't know. You know, stay away from the pubs a little bit more. Um, what, 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 you know, whatever his issues is, I, I think, I, you know, I, I don't know how afraid he is of anybody versus, you know, maybe there it's a risk reward aspect. I, I, yes. I do agree going, you know, with, with Klitschko. Yeah. I, I think he was aware he was going to get a different and tougher fight had they fought in 2016. Um, I, I personally thought Klitschko had a shot at stopping him late. I, you know, I don't know if that, especially if, if Klitschko fought him the way he did Joshua a year after that, you know, um, that was a, that was a pretty good version of him despite his loss there. I think Anthony Joshua is an interesting guy whose stock has dropped in a lot of ways, thanks to the Ruiz fight, the first Ruiz fight. But I, I think he presents a very different sort of challenge and say Deontay Wilder. Yeah, Wilder has that one wrecking ball, his right hand, and it's dangerous. And, and he's also a tough guy. Like, I don't think Deontay Wilder is that great a fighter. Um, I, I, I think the power does keep some fighters cowed from him. And I think he's got legitimate heart and durability. Um, and I think that's about it. And I, I think his his pretty sloppy style was uh, kind of tailor-made. I mean, Fury still got dropped a few times, obviously, especially uh, uh, in that first and third fight. But I, I think I think Deontay Wilder was a better bet, despite a lot of people rating him higher than Joshua. Josh, Joshua is a smarter boxer than Fury. You talked about straight versus, you know, round punches. He's a, you know, he's a better boxer, throws straighter punches. Um, he has enough power to hurt, you know, if... if if Deontay Wilder is a 10 out of 10 in power, Joshua is a 9.5 out of 10. You know, he's not that far off. Um, he, he's a hitter, too. He hasn't always demonstrated it, especially, like you say, against Usyk. But Usyk is special, as we know. So, um, so yeah, I, I think I, I, I'm not inclined to automatically say he's trying to do anything specific against Usyk yet because – you know, the fight is, as far as I know, it, it's still scheduled, even though it's been moved to May 18th, I think. I don't know if it's going to happen or not. I'm I'm inclined to, provide, you know, offer a little grace and say, you know, let's see if it gets delayed again. Because the cut, again, the cut seemed legitimate, but and it looks rough. And, and you know, I it's a reasonable point to, to postpone it. But beyond that, Tyson Fury has not helped himself with his past behavior. Like, you know, it, it, it's understandable to be a little, uh, um, to be skeptical about his sincerity, uh, considering everything that's happened over the last, you know, well, his whole career, basically, especially since, since post Klitschko fight. So then obviously the next thing to, to, to discuss is, you know, instead of, uh, as opposed to looking back into the past and these, these, examples of of fights that could have or should have been um or uh, what might have been if the fights hadn't been uh postponed or delayed so now we're dealing with a situation very similar and years from now maybe fight fans will speculate will wonder what if Tyson Fury versus Alexander Usyk had taken place when it was initially set to happen instead of several months later uh i believe the fight is now set for may um will this 
long delay, uh, we're talking at least three months, is it going to have a, 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 a significant influence on the outcome? And does either fighter benefit from this uh, in any way? What, what are your thoughts, Hunter? Well, I mean, in theory, uh, the guy who uh, whose commitment to conditioning is a little more questionable, in theory, would benefit from the delay. Um, I don't know how much of the next three months he's going to spend in the gym. Um, you know, if, if he's smart, hopefully a lot, you know, it's, it's possible to overtrain obviously. And, you know, you want to give yourself a little bit of recovery room for recovery, especially, you know, he has to be careful with this cut, you know, watch, you know, not probably not gonna be sparring for a little while, that kind of thing. Um, obviously he can still work out. Um, I, you know, I think obviously we know Usyk tends to be a little more professional about that sort of thing. He comes into fights in shape. You know, he's he's not a, you know, not a massive specimen by any means, but he's clearly, you know, not. Uh, he, he 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 seems to be. Uh, he seems to keep himself in shape quite well between fights. Um, on the other hand, it's also fair to note that you know. Usyk's country is currently in the middle of an invasion, and he's probably a little distracted by that, too. Um, I, I think a lot of it comes to Tyson Fury. If he is really if he's really serious about this fight and really cares about it, this could benefit him more than it would benefit Usyk, I think. I think he has more to gain, especially in terms of conditioning, especially in terms of tactics, that kind of thing. You know, he just came off a pretty lousy performance against a guy with no professional boxing experience whatsoever. Um, I, you know, I, I think he won that fight, but, you know, he didn't win it by a lot. <laughs> so, uh, and, you know, against a guy who's now 0-1, um, and not to diminish, you know, uh, his past opponent, but you know, th- th- that's, and that, that can be kind of, you know, it's a different situation. He obviously, we know he fights down to the level of his opponents. Sometimes again, that's kind of a preparedness and professionalism has always been a thing with him. I, I believe Fury will get up for this fight. Assuming it happens. I, I, I think this delay should benefit him more than it benefits Usyk. I just don't know if it's enough. Um, because Usyk, again, I just is a far more professional person. Usyk's kind of a weird guy himself, but he's a weird guy in a way that doesn't diminish what he does in the ring. You know what I mean? You know, he's kind of a goofy guy, but he's not a he, he's he's not a boozer or a drinker or a cokehead or whatever. You know, as far as I know. <laughs> I have to be careful because my judgment may be skewed by my great, great desire to see the end of the Tyson Fury era. Um, I think I think he's been, you know, the negative far outweighs the positive in terms of of his uh, reign, if you can call it that, or his his time at the top of the heavyweight division. Um, I do think that this is Usyk's fight to lose. I've felt this way for quite a while. Uh, my pick it would be the cat. I think I think he's the more talented fighter. Uh, he's the more uh, steady, more disciplined fighter, uh, more skilled fighter, and um, and he and he's more versatile. He's got more tools to use against Fury. Um, Fury's size. Uh, that's his big advantage. He's he's a much bigger guy, longer. I don't I don't see that bothering Usyk very much. 
Um, and and what is going to bother somebody is when Usyk starts landing with regularity, uh, flush shots. Having said all that, I agree. I agree. If this postponement is going to help anybody, it's going to help Tyson Fury. So it will be a challenge, I think, uh, for Usyk. It's a new challenge now. It's a, it's a kind of a different fight now. And the challenge, in part at least, for, for, for the Ukrainian will be to stay focused, to, to not lose his focus, to not get distracted by anything, to not um, be disturbed by, by any of, of Fury's antics or, or what is, is unfolding now. And at the same time, to not uh, get stale. So that's another thing. Is is it, it appear there was speculation that Usyk might get in the ring again, might get in the ring between um, this this setback and when the fight will finally take place. Obviously, that 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 talk disappeared pretty fast. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. They're not going to take that chance. And so, how is he going to manage his conditioning and his preparation so that he's sharp and fresh? and motivated uh when the fight finally does happen um so yeah it, it, it's an interesting scenario um but i tend to think that there won't be too much speculation after the fact as to what might have happened uh in february as opposed to may um my my money is still on uh usik coming through um no matter what and who knows that cut may reopen uh in the fight that wouldn't be a shock and that could be a major factor cuz that's that's old scar tissue and that cut looks deep and that that you know you never know i uh and and i i think overall usyk is the fresher uh more talented fighter he's undefeated well so's tyson fury but but uh but but Usyk is the more impressive fighter. He's the one, in my opinion, who I think is the favorite to to win this fight. It's his fight to lose, I believe. I I can't really argue uh, against any of that. Um, I you know I I think your analysis is is pretty spot on here. Um, I, I generally agree. I do think I I, I think Tyson. I will say about it's it's not just his size. I think when he's focused and on, he does know how to use his size pretty well. He also knows how to use, um, he's not bad at, at distance. He's not bad at his, at his footwork. He's, you know, he is obviously a significantly larger man. Um, I don't know how effective that weight will be. If he comes in in the type of shape, even close to the shape when he fought Klitschko, it could be actually more interesting. I, I, I think while his, shape condition is a little deceptive because again i think he often has pretty good wind for a guy who's clearly got 20 30 extra pounds over what he needs to have um you know he's also not getting younger Usyk's actually the older man but i i think just <laughs> the overall mileage uh theory's got a lot more on him from mostly just the hard living um i I, you know, I, I, I don't think I wouldn't actually count Fury out. I think he has a shot um, in general, kind of just through his being a frustrating individual to fight. I think that's the big thing. Um, and, and it's possible Usyk's just has his head on too, too, his head is on too straight to really 
be psyched out by Fury's antics. But Fury's a strong guy. He can take a punch. Um, he's definitely going to land his share of shots. Um, he's, he's again, much larger. He's not as tall as he claims. I've still, I'll die on this hill. He's not six, nine, he's maybe six, seven and a half, but that's still much larger than Usyk. Uh, <laughs> um, regardless, he's still, he's still an NBA sized player and a fighter. And I, but, but I tend to agree that, uh, he'd have to, he'd have to be special. He'd have to like really show his potential. And I just, even if he, even if he has the capability of it, I don't think he's got it in his mind anymore. I don't think his body's going to handle it. You know, I, I think maybe the Fury of 2015 could outpoint Usyk, but I don't think that's going to happen now. I, I think Usyk will probably win this. Well, I think uh, we've we've uh, I think we've uh, covered all the bases, Hunter, and I want to thank you for being on the podcast mm-hmm. and. Um, much appreciated. No doubt, no doubt. When we get closer, if Tyson Fury versus Alexander Usyk actually happens, and who knows, fingers crossed, if it will ever happen. <laughs> who knows? That could be the thing that people will look back on in the future. You know, what if the fight had ever happened? Um, but you know, if it does happen, uh, for sure, uh, we'll be talking about it more. We'll be talking about it again closer to the date. Uh, because I know you will always be fascinated in any high-profile heavyweight matchup, Hunter. And, sure. um, yeah, this, and this is a fascinating fight in so many different ways. So I look forward to that. Hey, everyone, it's Jeff here. If you like today's episode, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And check out all of our other content on thefightcity.com. The website link can be found in our show notes. Till next time.